So this has been super interesting. The most exciting conversation about insurance I think our listeners will ever have, in my opinion. <laughs> probably. I know. They're probably all on the edge of their seats right now thinking, I wow, know. I never knew insurance could be so exciting. So like, you're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I'm so excited to have you all with us. Um, I am also excited to have uh, my colleague, Baraka Stortbet, with me. Baraka is the co-founder of Marsha McLennan's Digital Health and Healthcare Practice Advisory, and he is our go-to uh, at Nixon Gwilt Law for our clients who are doing super fun things with healthcare data, companies like mobile app developers and multi-jurisdictional telemedicine companies and digital therapeutics companies. Uh, if there is some interesting digital health angle, we always send them to Baraka. They're always happy uh, because he knows more about this than any other broker that, that I've talked to. Um, so I will stop singing his praises and welcome him to the podcast. Hey, Baraka. Hey, thanks for having me. You're, you are welcome, my man. So you, uh, you may be asking yourself, Rebecca, what are we doing talking about insurance? This is supposed to be a podcast about super fun, innovative things, exciting developments in the world of healthcare innovation. And, um, you know, you are probably assuming that insurance is quite mundane. People have said it about legal services as well. I think Baraka would disagree with you. Um, uh, like Baraka, the work that I do can be sort of tedious, um, often less than exciting in terms of conversations for entrepreneurs. But uh, I have found uh, that this is a conversation, the insurance conversation, uh, it, it, this is a conversation I have with every single one of my clients. And frankly, I think there's nothing more exciting than having a, an insurance agent to call when things go wrong. What do you think, Baraka? Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that is when it gets exciting. I will acknowledge that talking to an insurance broker can put a CEO to sleep faster than almost anything, including melatonin. But um, we can, you know, I think it's, it's really important and it can be fun when we talk about it for the right, right lens. Yeah, and, and I would and I would say I'm going to ask you a little bit more about this later um, in the conversation. But I would say, you know, what the CEOs are most interested in is sort of why do I need it, what do I need, and how much it's going to cost. Uh, and what I have learned from my work with you is that um, those answers are different uh, depending on who you talk to. And what is most helpful is someone who really understands your business and your industry who can sort of say, I've looked across the market, I work with a lot of people like you, here's what I could recommend from that place of understanding. Um, and uh, anyway, so, so we will get to those key questions um, during this podcast. The, the first thing I'm gonna ask you about today is when you're looking at digital health clients, uh, and I'm talking about sort of the, um, when I say digital health, uh, I am, also including healthcare providers, but not sort of traditional brick and mortar healthcare providers. Um, this is sort of mm -hmm. the tech enabled world. When you were looking at companies like this, what kinds of risks are you talking to them about? And, um, and does that vary based on the specific kind of company? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, like 
companies in the digital health world will come at it from one of a few lenses, right? They'll they'll come at it from we're a tech company who's doing some things in healthcare lens, or we're a healthcare provider that you know is focused on medical malpractice, or we're a life science company that's focused on product liability and you know. And so my job is to broaden if, which, whatever lens they come in with. How do I help them broaden that to be able to see you're, you're at the intersection of all three? And that creates some unique things. And we have to talk about some things that you don't typically talk about. So, you know, if you're a tech company, you're not used to having malpractice exposure. And now you're like, oh, we have these nurses and we're doing remote patient monitoring. Well, you probably better start thinking about medical malpractice, right? Or if you're a, a provider, you're, and you have your own tech platform, well, you better start thinking about technology errors and omissions and the bodily injury exposure that comes there. And everyone in healthcare these days is probably already thinking and talking about, about cyber. So um, that's the other topic that gets a lot of people going, especially with the things that have been going on in the world over the past 18 months that, that's key. And we, we think about other things that are less exciting, like property coverage, general liability and auto and umbrella and workers comp. But really it's like the, the cyber, the, you know, the malpractice and product liability and the intersection of those is what really leads the conversation in digital health. Yeah. Tell me, so I think people, at least if they're coming to the conversation with a healthcare lens at all, I think um, in some cases we have to remind them, but most people are familiar with what med medical malpractice is. I'm really interested in, maybe you can say a couple of words about uh, the tech ENO and the product liability side, uh, and maybe mm -hmm. give some examples of companies where that sort of becomes part of the conversation when they maybe didn't assume it would. Yep. Yep. So I'll use the classic telehealth platform as an example, like a company that like they provide virtual care services, but they also have their own tech backbone that's enabling those services. So they have their own platform, maybe their own EHR integration that goes with it. And so essentially part of what they're doing is providing that technology to their customers, not just the healthcare services. And so if that tech fails, you know, a provider can not do anything wrong. The provider just never even got the patient, right? Because something happened or whatever they heard from the patient, they responded to and, and dealt with appropriately, but the tech just failed. And so you have a situation where bodily injury can happen to a patient based on a tech failure that wouldn't trigger a traditional malpractice policy. And so that tech, you know, happens. The other is like, let's say you're a platform provider that's a B2B company, right? You have what we call financial injury exposure, meaning that if you, you know, let's say the platform's down, people can't use it, there become claims costs to a self-insured employer as a result of that. They're not the patient's not suing you for bodily injury. The employer is going to sue you because they lost, they had some financial loss or cost that happened as a result of that. And that's what a techie, the tech ENO coverage is going to cover too, or general ENO um, for the professional services other than medical services that that company is providing. So that's kind of the interesting thing. And then products like RP, RPM is a great example, remote patient monitoring where companies have kind of all three exposures often of products, tech, and professional services. So they have an actual physical device that could hurt someone. Um, that's a product liability claim. If that product, the hardware fails and it hurts someone. 
The software component is the tech, right? So if the tech fails or the data doesn't flow correctly, that could cause a tech-related claim. And if the nurse on the other end who's doing the triage, which a lot of these companies do, fails to catch something or doesn't respond or doesn't give appropriate treatment, then it's a malpractice claim. And so it's really important that those coverages are all there and that they overlap in terms of with the same carrier and talk to each other so that claims are covered. Yeah, it sounds like like a deep understanding of not only the business itself, but who its customers are becomes really like part of the insurance planning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's like, it's almost like I, you, you need someone who's going to be integrated with what the business is and what it does and really take the time because you can't put, protect yourself from a risk perspective appropriately without having someone who can advise you based on what you're actually doing as a company. Right, right. I, I think I think it's very similar. Uh, you know, we have very similar philosophy about that, right? The, the the way to provide the most value is to make sure you really understand the nature of the business, its goals, where they're going, how it's growing, et cetera. Um, and we've talked about that before. You you said a little bit about um, uh, telemedicine and the unique risks of, of telemedicine companies. I wanted to dive a little, not too deep, Baraka, because we don't have all day, but I wanted to. <laughs> like a, like a midway deep into uh, what I get a ton of questions about all the time, which is structuring insurance for multi-jurisdictional telemedicine companies. So these are companies that have complex corporate structures that are um, uh, professional entities and non-professional entities and physicians who may be employed or contracted and then leased out between the professional entities. We will do a podcast at some point about that particular structure, but, but you know, suffice it to say, it is, the, it is separate legal entities mm-hmm. that uh, all work together in, you know, uh, in, a, in a concerted way, uh, but usually there is one group that is in charge of managing the entire uh, enterprise. Mm-hmm. That one group isn't really a healthcare provider. Only the the professional entities entities are healthcare providers, and so uh, you know we get the questions about like who gets the insurance, who, what kind of insurance, how do we make sure that everybody is covered? So, like I said, not all the way down, but like mid dive into the cave of insuring multi jurisdictional telemedicine companies. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make this. I'll pull you as out. understandable as possible and at <laughs> mid-level and exciting at the same time. So basically what we call the MSOPC structure, which, um, which we get really excited about and gets me up every morning, certainly is, is corporate structures of professional corporations. Same. But the important thing to look at from an insurance perspective is when there's management control, which usually happens via what we call a master services agreement between the corporate entity and the professional entities for regulatory reasons we will not dive into at this point. The important thing is how do we consolidate it? And we talked about RPM companies being being an example of like, you could have a malpractice claim that's related to a tech claim that's related to a product claim. And so you do not, some, some brokers and some companies think, we need completely separate insurance programs for these professional entities compared to the corporate entities. And I say generally, absolutely not, because what can happen is there's interrelation and you can end up with gaps in coverage if things are not coordinated. 
And so what we do is we name as named insureds, which is gives the full rights of a policyholder basically to all of the professional entities. And we put the policies in the name of the corporate entity because that corporate entity controls via management control, all the non-healthcare specific related services that go on within that ecosystem that's working together. And so that's the important thing is saying, get all the coverage together wherever possible and make sure that every entity is actually physically named on a policy because the automatic coverage for subsidiaries is not going to work. Okay, so so that was a perfect mid-level dive into this. The, the, the big picture takeaway is you can get one policy to cover the entire enterprise, uh, but your broker needs to understand the business. So how many professional entities What's the patient volume? Which states are you in? I mm-hmm. learned more than I ever want to know about how Kansas is a pain in the butt. <laughs> that is. That <laughs> is. <laughs> insurance. Um, so anyway, another reason why having somebody who really knows this business is super important. Um, okay, so the last thing I want to touch on, um, which is usually the only thing that my clients <laughs> really come to me caring about, is how much is gonna, this is going to cost me and like, how does all of that work? Uh, does, you know, is Marsha McLennan gonna look at the exact same things? Does it matter where I go? Uh, you know, h- how, does, how do I make sure the cost isn't overwhelming? And at the same time, how do I make sure I have enough because I'm scaling very quickly? Um, I wanna make sure that my insurance matches my risk. So talk to mm-hmm. me a little bit how, about how you counsel folks on that. Yeah. And and I think it really depends on stage. And that's where understanding the business and the stage of the company is really important because I have strategic conversations with my clients all the time of like, hey, listen, if you are risk averse and you want to cover everything from day one and pay a little bit more money to do it, let's do the full structure from day one. If you're willing to take on some risk and do it intelligently and have a bare bones kind of program that's going to cover the major risk, maybe you're like only worried about malpractice and cyber, but you do have the tech component, but it's just minimal and you don't have enough dollars in it yet that it, that it makes sense. So I work with them and say, what do we got for budget? What are you willing to take on? How risk averse are you? Here are the risks and let's build something that makes sense. And so I would say, you know, typically for a telehealth multi-jurisdictional startup, if you're doing the coordinated coverage, it's probably ten dollars to $15,000 for the first year if you're going to do coordinated coverage. But you can find stuff as little as $5,000, right? If you want to kind of have a more bare bones program that's not going to take care of everything necessarily, but you're bootstrapping. And so you've got a lot of restrictions on what you can do. So that's kind of where I, I just try and help people make those decisions for themselves instead of trying to, I think some brokers would just say, here, take this and kind of a one size fits all approach that I don't think is necessarily helpful. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in how the underwriters are even uh, like approaching these new technologies, right? I mean, I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing they understand the risks related to, you know, companies that look like Teladoc, but we've got all of these innovations coming into the market, digital therapeutics and, mm-hmm. uh, 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 direct-to-consumer diagnostic tools and software as a medical device? Like how, how is that even being handled right now? 
Uh, they just basically throw a, throw a dart up against the wall and come back with the price. No, I, I think that's where education and you talked about like what makes working with Marshall McLennan or someone who does this on a daily basis different. And I think it is like telling the story and helping the underwriters even understand the risk. I feel like half of my job is like talking with the underwriters about what people are and are not doing and what that, what the implications of that are or aren't right from from a risk perspective to help them right size the premium based on the actual risk. And I'm a former underwriter myself. So I geek out on that. I knew you were going to drop that in. I know. So, so that's why I, you know, I love that part. I love that part of it. Right. So, so it's fun. And I get to, um, I get to be able to have those conversations with the underwriters to help them understand and then try and find the right price for the right exposures. So are you then privy to, uh, you know, litigation and settlements, uh, like information about litigations and settle- litigation and settlements across the country on this? Because frankly, there's not a ton out there for, for the general public to understand. You want to mm-hmm. like drop a little bit of knowledge about sort of, I'm assuming it's mostly settlements because it's, we're not seeing a lot of, of um, you know, big judgments. Yeah, yeah, judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me a little bit about, is are you seeing it increase? Um, are, you know, what kinds of unique things are you seeing? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so like one of our carrier partners throws threw down an interesting fact: like sixty percent of the claims that they've gotten since they started the product four years ago have not been traditional malpractice related claims, where like the tech or the product or some this a cyber related event came into play with it there's actually been more claims activity in terms of intellectual property issues around trademark infringement, particularly. So just be careful out there, make sure you talk to a good lawyer before you take a trademark. Um, but, and, and cyber, honestly, that's, that's where most of the claims activity is happening. There have been some malpractice suits and then a, a, a number, a fair number of medical board related actions against providers in multiple states based on patient complaints yeah. or on not following the appropriate requirements for initiating a telehealth relationship with a patient. Yeah. That's where the, that's where the, all the action is. And those are not high those claims are not high dollar claims, but they're just like a pain to deal yeah. with and they're in, you know, you get letter that the physicians are getting uptight because they're getting letters from five different states medical boards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk, especially with these telemedicine companies, I talk to the, you know, when they're, where non-physician founders are involved um, and they're asking me about risk, I often say, well, some of this risk is, you know, malpractice and licensure risk that are, it's going to be borne by your physicians. Um, And there's tremendous competition for providers who understand and are good at providing care in the virtual space. And, you know, companies that are taking good care of their physicians and making sure that they've got what they need to avoid those claims, certainly, but the ability to protect them when those claims come about, um, that's going to, you know, that's at least going to be a differentiator. Um, Mm -hmm. So, okay. So this has been super interesting. The most exciting conversation about insurance I think our listeners will ever have, in my opinion. (laughs) Probably. I know. They're probably all on the edge of their seats right now thinking, I wow, know. I never knew insurance could be I so know. exciting. So like, 
Oh, I'm also realizing that I have a hole in my ceiling and I, I really missed an opportunity to make like a gaps in coverage kind of reference here. <laughs> I'm really I'm mourning it. All right. Thank you everyone for joining us. Baraka, thank you so much for being here. Um, I will make sure that uh, your contact information is in the show notes. Uh, make sure that you follow us on wherever you're listening to us streaming and that uh, you check in with us on social. And we look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Take care. Thanks, everyone.